Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Have you ever found it easier to sing that song than to mean that song? I have. All those songs that we just sing, sang, sung, sing it are purposeful. We, we thought about this service and as we think about the text that we're coming to and as we remember where we were last week, Every one of them is with intent this morning that, that our circumstances would not dictate our relationship to God. Are you with me? But rather that our relationship to God dictates how we view our circumstances. We find trouble when it, it's reversed. Okay, so here's, we're, we're, we've been in the book of Exodus now again for three weeks uh, we, we took a break for four weeks in October. We talked about the idea of stewardship. Um, but when we think about the book of Exodus, the first two to three chapters really focus on God and his people, or his people in Egypt, and then this man named Moses. Then this man named Moses. And so we kind of talked about who has God created me to be? Who has God created me? We looked at Moses' story and we learned that that God is so good, so sovereign, so in control that God uses all of Moses' history, good, bad, and indifferent, to build a man for himself to use in such a time as this. And then we, we moved on in chapter 3 and following through the plagues, and we looked at who is God. Because in chapter 3 all the way to the Exodus, God is revealing himself. Who is he? And without a proper understanding of who he is, we don't understand who we are as individuals and as a church. And so the past two weeks, we've been looking at now who is the church. So what we often think about is that the church is a New Testament idea, that God's people are this new thing that God does after Jesus died. But what we learn in the book of Exodus is that God is redeeming for himself a people and that is his goal from Genesis chapter 3 all the way forward to Revelation chapter 22. God is building and redeeming and preparing a place for his people, and we get to walk into it. Okay? So that's where we are. Now, last week we looked at this story of how they came through the edge of the Red Sea. Um, they walked through on dry ground, and as they came out of the Red Sea, there was a song of redemption on their lips. Why? Because they had felt the power of God's redeeming work as they crossed through the Red Sea. They were redeemed by two things. Number one, they were purchased by the blood of the Lamb in Egypt. And second, 
They were redeemed with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm as they walked through a sea on dry ground. Isn't that amazing? And in the same way, we are redeemed. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And we're redeemed by the power of God on display, which is the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus would not have been resurrected, our faith would be in vain and Jesus would have died in vain. But, go to Israel. Look inside the tomb. He's not there. So, now they came through, they sang the song of redemption in chapter 15, 1 all the way through verse 21. They sing this song to the Lord. And then they're faced with a trouble, a trial. They come through the Red Sea, and one of the first places they hit is this, this little area called Mara. Does anybody remember what Mara means from last week? Help me out. Bitterness, right? Bitter. Who in the Bible named themselves Mara after really bad troubles and trials? Naomi. Gosh, you guys, A plus so far. Y'all listened. So, yes, Naomi named, renamed herself Mara. That's Ruth's mother-in-law. She renamed herself Mara. Then we're looking that the people came through the Red Sea and they come to a place called Mara and there is bitter water. And we talked about how last, last week that that God often brings us to bitter places. And we would say, why in the world would a loving God bring us to bitter places? Why would God allow bitter things, difficult troubles, trials, tribulations to happen in our life? And we learned that it is because God's people are not meant to be static, but we are meant to be a people of progress. And the progress that He wants to accomplish in our life is twofold. One, we have a promised land that we are headed for. We are not citizens here primarily. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from heaven we await our Savior, Jesus Christ, who will one day come and burst through that eastern sky, and Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. Right? And so we learned that we are a people of progress. We are headed to the promised land, but also he is not just wanting to move us in a direction, but he is wanting to turn the needle of our hearts. He's wanting to shape us into his image from one degree of glory to another, and bitter things are often tools in the hand of a loving father to do that. We talked about how last week that, that uh, if we don't deal with bitter circumstances well, that, those, that bitter water will make its way to our heart. And we will become bitter people. You ever met a bitter person? Man, they are just not fun to be around, are they? You, you, Thanksgiving and all these good things and, and all they have to talk about is hard things, bad things, sour things. So when we don't deal well with bitter circumstances, that bitterness will find a way into our hearts. I talked about how, uh, or I, I remember this, this phrase, that anxiety, anxiety is fearing that God might get it wrong. But bitterness is believing that He did. Anxiety is fearing that God might get it wrong. And bitterness is believing that he did. 
So we, we need to guard ourselves. And there in that passage last week, God showed Moses something. Now, I was sitting around a little fire pit having a great conversation about Jesus last night. And, and, and as I was, it, 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 we talked about the kind of silliness of the story. Moses, see that log right there? Yeah. Throw it in the pond. Why would I do that? Because it's going to make the water sweet. Lord, I don't know as much as you, but that don't make no sense. Right? I mean, it's just kind of a silly story, but God shows Moses a tree, a log. Throw it in the water, and the bitter water will be made sweet. We made the connection last week that there is a tree for us that makes the bitter water sweet, the bitter circumstances sweet. We look to the cross where Jesus, there on the cross, was, he said, John 19, I think verse 28, I thirst, and they fed him or gave him a sponge filled with wine, sour wine, and gall. And he took the bitterness of our sin on the cross. He took the bitterness of our circumstances all upon himself so that he could make the bitter things sweet. Now, that does not mean that he takes them away, does it? It does not mean he protects his people from bitterness. Many of us, we trusted Jesus and we said, I thought when I trusted Jesus that everything would go well, that I'd never have difficulty, I'd never have problems again, but it doesn't take long reading the Bible to know that to follow God is not to be free of difficulty, trials, troubles, tribulation, death, cancer, you name it. But it's, it's not that God will protect us from it, but rather God will save us through it. He will work in us on the way through the bitter places and He will do something in our lives that we will sit back and say, if that bitter place is what it took to get me here, I would walk that bitter road again. And truly, when we sit in eternity around the table at the marriage supper of the Lamb and we're feasting on all of the riches of heaven, we're going to look back on the bitterness of our lives and we're going to say, I would walk it a million times over to get here. He doesn't protect us from it, but He saves us through it. He changes us. And often... We don't learn well through good things, do we? We learn from the school of what? Hard knocks. So, what's beautiful about last week's text is that they had to go through Mara, but God had a stopping place for them, and it was, its name was Elim. If you look at verse 1, verse chapter 16, verse 1, They set out from Elim. Now, do you remember what was in Elim? Elim had 12 springs and 70 palm trees. So at Mara, they had bitter water. It was a bitter place, a place of difficulty, but it was on the way to Elim. And in Elim, there were 12 springs. And now remember, 12 is this number of perfection, completeness, of fullness. And then there were 70 palm trees. There is the all the water you can drink satisfy yourself on the spring of water that God provides for his people so 
Verse 1, they set out from Elim. Now Elim, they cross through the Red Sea. They're in the Sinai Peninsula. And Elim is on the eastern side of the Red Sea. And they follow the Red Sea down. Or Mara's on the eastern side of the Red Sea. They follow the, the Red Sea down to a place called Elim. And then they go from Elim and they set out and they go south again all the way to the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula. Okay? So are you with me? And so they're, they're almost all the way down there. Verse 1, they set out from Elim and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month. Now they have now been gone out of Egypt for 1.5 months. So a month and a half, they left. And what's happening in the text is they have left and their picnic baskets were full, right? And now a month and a half out, they got no food left in their picnic baskets. All the Thanksgiving turkey leftovers have been devoured, right? It's all gone, and they come to another difficulty. Verse 2, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Can you just think about the... The crazy talk that they're, they're doing right now, think about this. We would rather have died in slavery, never experiencing the plagues of God, never experiencing the redemption of God, never seeing the promise fulfilled and the power revealed. We would rather have died there. Why? Because at least our bellies were full. At least there, we had something to eat. Yes, I was in slavery, but... Now, we would look at that and say, that's crazy. But how often is it that when we're redeemed from our sin, redeemed from slavery to sin, we're set free from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the beloved Son, we look back with longing on Egypt and go, oh, I remember those days. And so this is exactly what they're doing in the text. Exactly what they're doing in the text. And so we have to remember that God loves us too much to leave us where we are, how we are. And God will do difficult things, allow difficult things into our life because He wants to transform us. And we have to remind ourselves that every painful circumstance that comes our way comes by a loving father's consent every one of them there is nothing that has ever happened to you in your life that god said i didn't see that coming that they came through his fingers remember even the enemy is under the domain of our sovereign king of kings and lord of lords job says it god and, and satan were having a conversation satan said do this and god gave satan permission mark chapter 5 there was a demoniac man legion of demons inside him and the demons fell on their face, begged God for mercy, and asked for permission. And he allowed them. Are you with me? Church family, just think about that. What a blessed assurance it is to sit back and know that, that you have a Father in heaven who loves you enough 
and that even the difficulties in your life come through his fingers. And he, God does not waste a single millisecond of our pain. None of it is worthless. We would look at pain sometimes and difficulty and trial and tribulation, and we would say to ourselves, why? It's meaningless. Why? Because we can't see meaning. It's pointless. Why? Because we don't understand the point. And God would look at you this morning and he would say, nothing that you experience is meaningless. Just because you can't see the point doesn't mean there isn't a point. Just because you can't understand the meaning doesn't mean there isn't meaning. None of it is worthless. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, my outer self is wasting away. But my inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That means what you're going through in light of the eternal weight of glory, what you're going through no matter how difficult it is, in light of that is light and momentary. So we have a choice when difficulty comes. We can go to bitter places, we can let bitterness infest our hearts, or we can do like the brother of Jesus James said, and count it all joy, my brothers, when you face various trials. Count it all joy. Why? Because we know that these trials are producing something in us. Something like Jesus. We can grumble or we can count it all joy. So remember, if, if we don't deal with those bitter places in a God-honoring way, it will find its way to our heart. So what does our grumbling reveal? Let's look at the text. Verse 2. I heard it said, if that ain't Jesus calling, don't pick up. Verse 2, in the whole congregation of the people of, Mo or of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, I have a question. They're blaming Moses and Aaron. You let us out here. But who is leading in front of Moses and Aaron? Pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. God himself is leading them. So when they're grumbling against their leaders, who are they really grumbling against? They don't understand that God is leading them. They don't understand this. Then it goes on, verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Now, go down to verse uh, the end of verse 7, For what are we that you grumble against us? Verse 8, Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the morning meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is against, not against us, but against the Lord. And again, he hears their grumbling in verse 9. Our grumbling reveals a few things. Number one, it reveals that we are ungrateful. We are ungrateful. I mean, think about what the people of Israel have just experienced. All 
of the plagues. Number one, that after 400 years, God shows up in Egypt and says, it's time. I'm going to set you free. And number two, that he does it, and he does it in such a profound, miraculous way that nobody can take the credit for it. They didn't look at Moses and go, wow, Moses, good job. They said, Yahweh is fighting our battles for us. Number three, when they came out, they came out and they were, their purses and their pocketbooks were filled with all the gold of Egypt and they plundered Egypt on the way out. Why? Because God was providing for his people for their journey and even providing for the promised land. Then they get to the edge of the Red Sea and God says, just be still, just wait, see the salvation of the Lord. And God strikes the enemy and redeems them powerfully in an instant and then they come out and they sing of God's redemption and then the first trouble comes and they grumble. Man, people of Israel are hard-headed, aren't they? And who are the people of Israel in the Bible? Who, who are we, I guess, in this passage? Well, we're not Yahweh. We're not Moses. Doesn't leave us with many options, does it? The Bible's not very flattering about our human condition. We're the people of Israel and we grumble. And it reveals that we're ungrateful. That we look backward and all we see instead of all the blessings is we see all the troubles. We're ungrateful. That we don't trust God's leadership. And that really comes down to we don't trust you, God. And there, have you ever noticed there's a difference about, between grumbling about the Lord and grumbling to the Lord? Have you ever read the Psalms? David had some guts, didn't he? The psalmist, when he's praying, he prayed some things that I don't know that I have the courage to pray. God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? I don't know that I would pray that. But he had the freedom to bring his complaint to the Lord. And there is a difference between doing that and complaining about the Lord to other people. Are you with me? What we tend to do is we complain about our circumstances to others rather than bringing our complaints and our circumstances to God. Let's just be honest. Doesn't he already know? Are we fooling him by not telling him? Is God looking down from heaven upon us and going, well, at least he's not coming to me with all that stuff? No. God knows. God knows. So we need to take it to the Lord. How can we be honest with the Lord without grumbling? We can do it. We need to take it to the Lord. Tell it to the Lord. He already knows. And we need to take it to him and not somebody else. We need to leave it in the Lord's hands. How many of you have ever heard the saying that uh, we are to be a living sacrifice, but the problem with a living sacrifice is he often will get up off the altar and crawl away? Right? And so oftentimes, we will bring our burdens down before the Lord and we'll lay them down at the, before the Lord and then as we leave, we'll grab them and go, I'll just take this back with me. We don't just need to bring our complaints to him, but we need to leave our burdens and our complaints with him. Are you with me, church? 
We need to trust His promises. We need to trust His promises. Do you know the Bible gives numerous, I mean, a multitude of promises for His people. And all of the promises of God from Genesis to Revelation find their fulfillment in a person. His name is Jesus. In Him, we receive all the promises of God. And as the, I think it's Paul who says, all the promises of God become the yes and amen in Jesus. Yet, we're so quick to complain and so slow to trust His promises. And we need to give Him time to work. Time to work. Have you ever noticed that God's not on your timetable? Just me, huh? He doesn't work according to what I see is fit. He has a timetable. Uh, here's a humbling thought. Um, in the, the light, in light of eternity, you are a minor blip on a radar screen. Our lives are so small and insignificant in light of eternity that if you were to draw that out, you couldn't even see it. Yet, the Lord loves you, cares for you, is leading you, is providing for you, has given you all of the promises. As Ephesians chapter 1 says, in Jesus, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places belongs to you. But we need to give him time to wait or time to work. We need to wait on him. It's okay. Remember, uh, these trials are coming. Uh, our, our grumbling reveals something. We, we talked about in, in, as we were looking at the song of redemption that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when grumbling is coming out of our heart, what's it revealing about the content of our heart? Okay, so now we're, we're going to look at this idea that we are students in God's classroom. Okay, and God's classroom isn't always how we would envision it. I want you to imagine this. Mark, or Matthew chapter 4. It's Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus takes a group of his disciples and he says, Hey, let's get into the boat and let's go to the other side. And when they get into the boat, something happens out on the water. You remember what, that, what it is that happens in the middle of the night to the disciples? A storm. I have a question. Who is Jesus? He is God incarnate, right? Did he know that there would be a storm? Who created that storm? Why did he do that then? Why didn't he say, guys, you know, we need to wait about four or five hours. And if we wait four or five hours, our trip will be much easier. Why didn't he say, instead of going, I know the boat seems really practical right now, but just trust me, we're going to walk around the lake. Why didn't he do that? Because there was something in the middle of a storm that he wanted to teach his people that he couldn't teach them in the safety uh, on the beach by the Sea of Galilee. He wanted to do something. God's classroom is not always comfortable. He wanted to do something in them to teach them to trust him. That He is faithful. That His promises are true. That He hasn't left us. That in the middle of whatever we're going through, Jesus is asleep on the cushion. He's not left us, nor will He forsake us. And we need to believe that and remember that. That He's teaching us that He's the provider. 
You're grumbling about food, but if you just give me time, I promise I redeemed you. I made you promises to take you to the promised land. And if you will trust me, I will get you there. That he's trustworthy. Do you, have you, I don't know if you've ever heard this Corey Ten Boom quote. Corey Ten Boom once said, When a train grow, goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. Isn't that good? So often, what do we want to do? Heck with this. I'm out of here. I'll figure it out myself. No, you sit still and you trust the engineer. So what does it mean to trust the Lord? Because we are a people of trust. And this is where I'm going to end. What, are we, what does it mean to trust Him? I guess before I get there, why do we struggle trusting Him? I'll give you maybe a couple reasons. Number one is we as the church, we don't have a good theology of suffering. We don't know what to do with suffering. We've never been taught how to uh, persevere through suffering. And so when suffering comes, we equate suffering with an absence of God's pleasure or favor. Don't we? God said, if you love me and follow me, I will make all of your days great from here on out. And so when they're not great, we either think something's wrong with me or something's wrong with him. And most of the time, we're so narrow-sighted to know that the problem couldn't be me. So it's got to be him. And so, we don't have a good theology of suffering. we got to know that suffering is a part of it. Suffering does not equal the absence of God's love and favor. How do I know that? Because there was one man that God loved more than he loves anybody ever. His name was Jesus. And the, the, the suffering that Jesus experienced was not an absence of God's favor and love on him. Number two, the second reason why we struggle with, with trusting is that our circumstances will often outweigh our understanding of God. In other words, have you ever noticed that your circumstances can balloon? And if, if our understanding of God is small, our circumstances will soon eclipse Him. We struggle with that. Now, Hebrews tells us that faith is the confident assurance in events not yet seen. The confident assurance. Confident assurance. The things not yet seen. Or positive certainty expressed in action. Now, listen to me, church family. I'm wrapping this thing up. I'm talking about trust. That we are to be a people of trust. And we have messed up this idea of trust. Trust is not luck. Oh, that's very unlucky. I don't believe in a God of luck. I don't find luck used in the scriptures. It's not coincidence. It's not crossing the fingers or knocking on wood. That's not trusting in the Lord. And why do that? Well, stop it. Stop knocking on wood and crossing your fingers and believing that if you break a piece of glass it's, or mirror or whatever, it's seven years bad luck. That's superstition. 
And superstition has no place in trust. Don't lose me. Don't lose me, okay? Trust is not blind, ignorant decision making. It's not mindless. Trust is not a spiritual rabbit foot in the pocket. It is a careful, deliberate, reasoned, intentional thought about God and His promises. That's what trust is. We do not have this blind faith kind of faith. Look at the Scriptures, God's revelation of Himself, and reason it out. And you'll find every time that He is trustworthy, that He is good, that He is faithful, that He is the God when He makes a promise, His promise will be fulfilled. That's trust. Is your faith weak? It's likely because the object of your faith, you don't know it well enough. Art Azurdius says it this way, he says, Your faith instinctively strengthens in direct proportion to the expansion of the object of your faith. I'll say that again because there's a lot of big words in there. Your faith instinctively strengthens in direct proportion to the expansion of the object of your faith. In other words, if you expand your understanding of the object of faith, your faith itself will instinctively follow. The bigger the object of your faith gets, the stronger your faith will become. And sometimes we're so, we have so little trust and so little faith is because we don't know the object of our faith well enough. When our understanding of God, of Jesus, conforms to His reality, that's when our faith grows. Sometimes in the church we've settled for a God in our own image that we've created. A God of our liking, a God of our understanding. I have to fit Him neatly in this little box. And when I do, and God says, if you can fit me in your box, I have ceased to be the God of the Bible. Let me out of that box. Let me show you how big I am. Let me show you my power. Let me show you my faithfulness. Let me show you my goodness. And if you will let me be who I am, then your faith will grow. Are you with me? When our understanding of who He is conforms to reality, your faith will become stronger. So how do I increase my faith? I want you to look at the Scriptures. Verse 6, Moses and Aaron said to all the people, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. What's going to happen in the evening? Quail. He's going to provide quail. And that's going to be an amazing story next week that you're going to hear. And in the morning... You shall, verse 7, in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. What's he saying? You don't trust me because you don't yet know me. And so God has been revealing himself to his people so that they would trust him. So how do I strengthen my trust? First thing. Give time every day to behold the Lord. Give time every day to behold the Lord. 
To behold means to see, to look upon, to gaze upon. Psalm 27, verse 4, I think it is. Let me read it. Psalm 27 says, One thing I have asked for. One thing I have asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. David says there's one thing that's important for you. To be in His presence and to behold Him. Behold Him. How do I behold the Lord every day? The Bible is not a road map for life. Hear me, church family. The Bible is not a road map for life. Uh, it's not best instructions before leaving earth. The Bible is God's self-revelation. He wants to show you who He is. And if you'll look at it, if you'll read it, if you'll get into it every day, you will behold Him as He is. And let me tell you, your faith will grow. I heard it this way, by immersing ourselves, we grow in our trust by immersing ourselves in the faith-arousing Word of God. So behold Him too. Before I get there, there is a difference between a, a, mm, devotions are okay. So some of you, you, you start out your day and you open a devotion book. And so this is your quiet time as you open a devotion book. And, and in the devotion book, there might be a, a verse or a passage of Scripture and then an explanation of Scripture and then a prayer for you to follow. Now those are good, but those are not what God desires for you. That's not the end goal. That is a help in the process, but not the end goal of what it means to have a quiet time to behold the glory of the Lord. Are, are you with me? I don't mean to be offensive, but I mean to challenge. I mean to push. Those things are good, but they are not what our souls truly need. That will not feed us to make us healthy and nourish our bodies for life as we see it. I'm, I want to encourage you. There is a difference between reading a devotion and getting in the Word. Well, Ryan, when I get in the Word, I don't understand it. Let me, let me ask you this. If you're not good at basketball, how do you get better at basketball? By going to shoot hoops. You will never become better at something unless you work at it. There was somebody who came to me and said, Ryan, I struggle praying out loud. And I said, here's what I want you to do. Go home. And instead of praying inwardly, I want you to pray every prayer you pray at home all by yourself out loud. Why? Because what you practice is what you begin to do. And listen, you get better at reading God's Word by getting into God's Word. It will become easier to understand as you get into it. Don't give up. Some days, the Word of God is like a steak dinner. Other days, I go, I have no idea what I just read. But every day, it's nourishing to my soul. Oh, sorry, there's my soapbox. Number two, give time to wait for the Lord. Wait on Him. Wait on Him. How long do I wait? Until. Wait on Him. We're bad. We're not a waiting culture. 
Wait on him. Be patient in the Lord's presence. Wait on him. Waiting is a time to remember, to reflect on all of God's good gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes from heaven. It's a time to recollect all the things that God has done for you. You want to grow in your faith? Just remember all the goodness of God in your past. And third, give obedience to what you know. Give obedience to what you know. Let me prove that. If you go back up in your Bibles to chapter 15, verse 25 and 6, it says, There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. Did you see that? Give ear to him, and do what you know. Give ear, and do. Don't be just a hearer, but be a doer of his word. And as we close today, I just want to encourage us to become a people of trust. And wherever you are, no matter if you've been walking with the Lord for a week, a month, or a hundred years, your trust is not what it ought to be. We can all grow there. And so let us. Maybe you have sin, grumbling, complaints against the Lord that you need to pour out before Him today. I want to encourage you, come use this, these steps as your altar and leave those burdens there today and walk home without carrying those burdens home. But let's meet with the Lord. Maybe today you're out there and you say, I don't know Jesus. I don't know where I'd go if I were to die today. Well, today you can. You can trust Him. You can put your faith in Him. You can accept the gift of salvation that He's given, that Jesus died for you so that you can live now for Him. So you come do that. Let's, pray. Let's stand together. Y'all might need to wake up. Let's stand together. Let's pray together. And then after I pray, let's worship and respond together. Father, we come into your presence. And in just a moment of stillness, we remember. We remember all that you have done. God, if it weren't for you, where would I, where would I be? I shudder to think of all the foolishness I could have gotten into, the sin that I could have ran down that road if it weren't for your hand protecting me. I remember your goodness to me, your kindness, your mercy. I remember your redemption. I remember all that you've accomplished for me. I remembered how you've provided. You've been faithful. You've never let me down yet. I remember all your promises, at least all the ones I can remember right now. I bring them to mind. And I'm, I'm reminded that all of them find their yes in Jesus. I'm reminded that heaven is my home. And that one day Jesus will come back for his bride. I'm reminded. Father, we confess our sin to you this morning. Of complaining, of grumbling, of, forgive, or of unforgiveness, of bitterness. Father, forgive us and set us free. Grow our faith as our understanding of you grows and conforms to reality. We love you. We need you. Help us to respond and sing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.